we're live? I think so, yeah. Okay. How are you doing? It's good to see you. Good morning, Legacy Church, and anyone else who might be watching. Um, here we are. I wasn't expecting this a couple weeks ago. Um, I actually had a real good plan of what we were going to talk about. I had a great plan and an idea of how everything was going to work, and all of that changed this week. So here we are. And uh, no, this is not the same thing as preaching in front of you. I miss you all dearly, and I look forward to seeing you again real soon. Um, if anything, I will say live streaming does allow a little bit more dialogue than what we're used to if I'm at the, at the pulpit and you're sitting in a chair. So feel free to ask any question or lodge any concerns or any needs that you have in the discussion forum below, and we're going to be happy to get to that. And if we can't answer any questions that you have in this time, I'll either build a blog post and link to it and then show it on social media during the week. Um, or I'll just email you personally and help out as much as I can. Um, but I will say I'm also changing the content of what I'm talking about today as well. Just because, I mean, there's an elephant in everyone's room today. Uh, there's a virus that is changing the pattern and the rhythm of our lives. And there's changing the rhythm and the pattern of our church's life as well. I mean, nothing looks like what we were thought it was going to be, and the, these are unique times. I haven't seen anything since 9-11 change the pace of humanity quite like this. This will be something that you talk to your grandkids about, something that you discuss with your kids as they get a little bit older. Now, last week, I did spend a couple moments just leading and trying to help you posture your heart during times like this, moments like this. I think I'm going to need to spend a little bit more time on that today. I want to talk to that very thing today. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Acts 12. That's going to be a very helpful passage for us. It's going to show us how to apply the gospel in moments like this. And then Psalm 46 is also going to be a very good passage for you to turn to as well. As I said last week, this is going to be an important sermon or two for you, not just because of the virus, but because we're always going to have things like a virus. There's always going to be something that marches through and changes and interrupts our life and our pattern. That's always going to be the case. Um, it's a virus today. It might be something down the road that's going to critically interrupt or suspend or even cancel the way that you do life. Paul says, the creation itself is subject to futility. And as I said last week, this is what it sounds like. It sounds like a coronavirus or a tornado um, or people just misbehaving, to be honest with you. This is what Paul was talking about a little bit. So until that time that God comes and renews all of creation that is fractured and broken, until then, we're always going to feel the ebb and flow of something coming, some tragedy, some crisis, something. You, you will be tempted to panic in all of these moments from now until the time that Jesus changes everything. You've probably been tempted to panic even this week. I know I have. I mean, seriously, let's be honest. You're probably never going to look at a, a roll or an aisle of toilet paper the same ever again. Probably never going to look at a cruise ship the same ever again. I think days, seasons like this, they tend to push a mirror in front of us, kind of provoking us to look at ourselves. 
it, it helps us see the best in ourselves sometimes, but also the worst in ourselves in seasons like this. We see the parts of us that we're just not very proud of. We're either seeing people overreact in seasons like this or underreact, and then we'll catch ourselves judging people that underreact and overreact. We find ourselves looking out for number one instead of everyone else. We find ourselves just kind of being nonchalant about it and not really caring about anybody else. I think when normal life is interrupted and suspended and even canceled, it gives us space for examination. It creates some margin for us to really see who we are. I mean, your flesh is ultimately on display in days like this. As I've been telling friends and family, everybody's Enneagram number is out to play. Everyone sees what you look like today. Your Myers-Briggs is exposed in days like this. So if you haven't taken the time to meditate or think on what is being provoked in your heart in a season like this, I want you to ask yourself an important question. What is the COVID virus? And what is a stock market's collapse exposed in you that you're just not all that excited about? What has it shown you about yourself that you're just kind of grieved over? You know, we've been covering some of the various angles and metaphors of the cross in recent weeks. It just happens to be the series that we're in. We're looking at the good news of God from different angles. Um, we've looked at reconciliation, redemption, adoption, union with Christ, new beginnings. We're looking at different ways in which we can hold up the same beautiful good news and have it minister to us in a slightly different way. And to be honest, I have a couple more I'd really like to go through. But today, instead of looking at an angle of the cross, I want to look at an application of the gospel in the empty tomb for us today. How does the gospel of God interact with a virus? How does it interact with the stock market collapse or people in line waiting for a commodity that are misbehaving? How does it interact with social distancing or Purell? I think this is important for us as a people, right? I mean, at Legacy, we, we say that we are a gospel-centered people. We are a Jesus-shaped people doing gospel-centered things, and we are fascinated with what God has done for mankind through the gospel. We say that, and we believe that, but there's really no good in declaring something like that if we're not able to take this good news and apply it to a time like this. I hope to be helpful for you today. I think our church could be helpful in Knoxville in this way. As Knoxville handles a panic, and a pandemic, I think we can be a gospel-fortified church. I don't think the gospel could be much more relevant than it is today. I mean, listen, I can't tell you what to do with your family or your stuff or your money right now, but we can look at the Bible and see how it teaches us the good news of what God has done for mankind. And I can maybe be helpful with how you can extend that or communicate it to your neighbors or your kids. Those are the things we hope to do today and this week. Because church, listen, this is a season where we can talk deeply to our city about God. And we can talk to our God deeply about this city. And I say we seize this moment. I say we take this moment, this season, and use it for the glory of God and for the good of mankind. Here's what I mean. God and His gospel and His good news for mankind. When I say this, it is His good news for mankind through the person of Jesus. 
um, as he came to live, die, and live again by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is now at the right hand of God, interceding for you and me as he creates space, a welcome space for you and me. This good news, this gospel, in it he takes a dead aim at panic and at dread. He declares war on it, and he invites us into this place of peace and rest and stillness, even in the face of death. This is part of our gospel. Now listen, this rest that I'm talking about, this stillness and this peace, it takes courage to do that. I mean, the world, when the world is coming undone, the most courageous thing you can do is rest and be still. And I know that sounds odd, to, that it would take courage to be restful. But let's just consider it takes zero courage to join the emotional stampede that's going on around us. It takes no courage at all to do that. And just as a quick warning, by the way, we can kind of sometimes fail by window dressing our fear and our anxiety and our panic and our dread by being very concerned or very prepared when all we are is just very fearful. There's a difference between preparing for things like this while you're trusting in the Lord and preparing for moments like this and trusting in your preparation. There's a big difference. There's a line. There's a line in being responsible and being fearful, and only you are going to know where that line is. I can't tell you where that line is for you, but I would imagine that you've seen yourself flirting with it over the last week, even the last few days. Being still, what we're looking at today, it does not mean being unprepared or being irresponsible either. It means any activity that you're involved with, any uh, thing that you're executing in the moment, that it is imbued with trust. In conviction. See, God, God invites us to be courageously still, especially when the world is flexing in the opposite direction. Now, we're going to finish this moment with Psalm 46, because I think it's a triumphant passage for us as a church today, but I'm going to, I'm going to rip the punchline out of it and just give it to you right now, because it's going to help us. The 10th verse of Psalm 46, he says, be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, by the way, God, God would later amplify this psalm, lifting it right out of the pages of the Old Testament by seeing it come alive in Jesus. And I'm not sure if you've ever seen this in your Bible study or not, um, but in the book of Mark in chapter 4, you have this incredible moment where Jesus is sleeping in a boat. He is in the bow. He is rounding rem cycle number 3, not a care in the world, and the boat is full of disciples who are frankly losing their mind because the boat is taking on water. They do what I would do. They wake Jesus up, hoping that he's going to fix it. And he stands, and it says in verse 39, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. The same God that says, be still and know that I am God, is the same God that says, peace, be still, and the, and the waves obey. Creation obeys. Here's a truth about the stillness that the gospel offers you and me. Stillness is more than just not moving. Certainly, you're able to just put your body at rest, but your soul, it just twists and it grinds and it paces back and forth inside. Stillness is a state of the soul where we just stop anxiously thrashing and frenetically pacing. 
It's the stillness of the soul that is what we're looking for. And that is a stillness that is born only in trusting God. Only in trusting God. I want you to consider that when the world goes totally mad and everything comes undone, in the midst of wars, in the midst of waves and cancers and migraines and loneliness and market collapses and viruses, when the cosmos, when the whole cosmic order is coming unstitched, God brings stillness. He brings a rest. This is a stillness that sleep is never going to bring us, nor a substance or a drug. It, it goes way beyond logic. It goes beyond any kind of scientific explanation. I mean, the big question is, where do we get it, right? Where do we get this stillness? The answer is this. Trusting in God and what he has done for mankind through the person of Jesus. It's very simply the gospel. And I know, listen, if you go to Legacy, I know that's my answer for everything. Every problem in the world, I always say the gospel is the answer. And I really do believe it, right? But let me explain what I mean by that here. This stillness that we're talking about is purchased for us by our hero who submits his life to a cross and ruins a grave. It's a gospel-born stillness. It's a supernatural thing. Listen, if you're listening at home and you have a heart that is full of turbulence, what I'd like to do is take you through a passage that has helped me in Acts 12. I find it to be a medicine for me, actually, because it just reminds me how still and how grounded and how quiet a soul can actually get. And I need that because I'm an anxious man. <laughs> I don't even need a virus. I, I'm given to panic. I have had panic attacks. But this passage is in a catalog of passages that for me, I could turn to, and it is just a medicine to me. And by the way, it's important for you to be collecting passages like this too. Just the ones that you can turn to quickly, right? They, they conjure feelings in you quickly. They remind you of God quickly. You should develop uh, a series of passages. Maybe write them down, maybe memorize them, and always be able to turn to them quickly. This is one of them for me. So this is Acts 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him, or made to God by the church. If we just pause right there for a moment, there's a panic that's ripping through the church community right now. In, in, in a moment like this. The panic of this moment, it exceeds what society is going through today. And let me just tell you, there is some panic going around today. My bride was telling me this morning about how two guys got in a brawl over a jug of water and one smashed a bottle of wine and just jigged the guy with a bottle of wine. That's nuts. That's nuts for water that's going to come right out of his tap. People are panicking, okay? This is worse. This is worse. At this point, in the church's history, everybody is looking for stillness and rest. Because it is, there is an emotional charge to this passage right here. I mean, first of all, Herod, he's a fierce politician. He comes from a long line of fierce 
politicians. His father is the guy that killed John the Baptist, just to be more politically popular. His grandfather was the guy that killed a nation's sons looking to snuff Jesus out. That's the line that this guy came from. And at this point in history, Christians are not popular with the unbelieving Jews. In fact, they're offensive. And this is happening in a very highly charged time. It's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a, a seven-day party that happens right after Passover. A lot of high nationalism is kind of coursing through everyone's bloodstream. There's a lot of emotional stampeding, and Herod sees it. And so in one big sweeping political move, he murders James. And then he imprisons Peter with the intent, very likely, of killing him probably the next day as the passage is going to kind of lead us to believe. D death is imminent for Peter. This is, the end. this is his ninth inning. That's what he's got to be thinking. Now what I want you to do is put yourself in the shoes of the church, not Peter. That's what we typically do when we read this passage. But the church, running with your family, looking for a hole to hide in, right? I mean, what are the things that are happening? Stephen is dead. God didn't save him. James is dead. God didn't, God didn't save him. People are dying and getting thrown in jail, and God's not saving them. Now Peter, who is pretty much as much of a leader as they have, he is in jail. God did not save him. God is nowhere. How do you interpret something like this? I mean, I'm going to bet hearts were restless. Not still at all. Let's go on and read verse 4. It goes on to say, And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Four squads of soldiers. There's about four soldiers in a squad. So over a dozen soldiers that are either chained to him or staring at him or standing at the, the little door to the dungeon right there. Now the spoiler is already in front of us. He gets out. God breaks him out. And that's miraculous. And that's cool. I don't even think that's the coolest part of the passage. What, what I can't get my mind around is how he was even sleeping. How he was able to be asleep. That's fascinating. Listen, I have sleep problems. I have sleep problems. Specifically getting to sleep and staying asleep. And I know that's all of sleeping. But my mind is active when, when I go to bed. Um, it's always thinking through strategies and scenarios. And it, it can be when I'm creative or innovative. But it can also be because I'm being fearful and strategic and looking to save myself. Listen, I could drink a gallon of CBD oil and take a bunch of melatonin and have the room at the perfect temperature and have a little bit of a, a princess mask over my face. I could have all the stuff that I need to, to sleep well, but if there is some panic in me, it's not happening. It's not happening. If I thought I was possibly going to die the very next day, <laughs> it's not happening. How did Peter sleep? What reason does he have to feel safe? 
Stephen, like I said, is dead. James is dead. He's in jail. Here's the answer, I believe. I think he already was dead. Now, I don't mean literally dead. He's obviously not literally dead, but I think he's dead to this world, dead to trusting in this world, dead to trusting in his own ability to save himself. I think he trusted his life to Jesus and he knew that God was in control. God was in control and so he could rest. He could sleep. He could be at peace. You know, there's an old missionary named James Calvert and back in the day when the Fiji Islands were not full of tourists but full of cannibals, um, a lot of Europeans were going over there in these mission trips to bring the gospel to the cannibals. Problem was, is they were getting speared and harpooned before they would even get to shore. Before they could even put a, a foot on firm ground, they were being killed. James Calvert was bringing a team, including his wife, to the Fiji Islands. And as they were getting out of the big ship into a little landing craft, the captain tried to talk him out of it in the last moment. This is what he said. He said, you will lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such savages. James Calvert replied, sir, we died before we came here. I think this is it. I think this is Peter. I think this is why he can sleep. I think this is why he can rest. God is in control and God is satisfying to him. And Jesus to Peter is more valuable than an escape. Jesus to Peter is more valuable than life. So he can rest. He can be still. He can give it all up. I mean, some of us would pay a king's ransom for this kind of rest, would we not? Enter the gospel. The story of how God is not only in control, but he is kind. He's both. And both, his bigness and his loving kindness is on display by a cross and an empty tomb. It's proof. It's proof. Friends, listen, you need to know, this is what you need to know. God does not fumble the football. He's not flummoxed or frustrated or confused right now. He's not painted in a corner. He's not anxious. He's not ambushed. He's never intimidated. He's never unsure, never on his heels. He's never behind. He's never full of dread. He doesn't get caught in the nervous stampedes that we do. Listen, don't take my word for it. Just look at an empty tomb and let that counsel you. It had one job. The, empty, the tomb had one job, and that was to hold a dead body, and it could not do that with Jesus. could not. We will find Jesus doing something else, being at the right hand of God, dragging sadness and decay behind him. Our God is big. Our God is big. The same God who says to the psalmist, Peace, be still and know that I am God, is the same God who stands up in a rocking boat and says to the waves, be still, and they obey, is the same God that looks death in the eye and says, let him go, and he obeys. This is our God. God has shown himself to be incredibly proficient in being in control and being big, especially when the world feels so very out of control. I mean, consider Jesus in the tomb. It's the most out of control, probably panic-riddled moment in a lot of people's lives. Maybe all of history. People believed in this Savior, and he's in a tomb. But what you and I know is everything was moving according to plan, according to schedule. 
the architecture of God's gospel was falling in order just as it was designed to do. Jesus would not be dead. He would not decay in this tomb. He would rise triumphantly by the power of God's Spirit, the same Spirit that is alive in His people today. Friends, listen, if you don't trust that God is big like this, you will never know rest, ever. If you don't trust that God is this big and in this much control, you will never have a stillness to your soul, ever. You can have an aisle full of toilet paper in your own home, an account full of money and a perfect immune system, and you can't have this kind of stillness. It'll never happen for you. Stillness, this stillness, comes from trusting God's size and His control. Anxiety is the opposite. Anxiety comes from seeing God drop you at every corner. The bigger your God is, the more still your soul will be. So let the empty tomb counsel you on how large God is. And it's, you know, panic and anxiety it doesn't just communicate to you that God is small. It also says God doesn't care about you, right? I mean, maybe some of you, if you're listening to me now, maybe you're convinced God is big, right? His arm is long, but maybe his heart's small and he's not mindful of you specifically. doesn't care about you specifically. But the gospel speaks to this as well. Because where the enemy says, and where stress and panic and dread say, you need to take care of yourself, the gospel says you don't. In his book, The Gospel, Ray Ortland says, the temptation of the devil was and is, don't risk yourself on God. Trust your own instincts. Live within yourself. You need to take control because you cannot trust God. And that's what panic will tell you. That's what panic, that's what will get you to get in your car and speed to a store and cram everything you can into your cart. It feels normal to do this, to rest our hopes on ourselves. That's the natural flow. And it comes from the fear that God will let us down because He is not loving. So we scurry. And we hoard and we panic and we stab people with broken wine bottles and, because we think God is not thoughtful for us. But listen, not only does it take trust that God is big and in control to find this stillness, it takes an abiding trust that He is for you and not against you. Friend, listen, He is for you today. He's not against you. God is kind and thoughtful and considerate and He is mindful of us down to the very last one of us. Another passage out of my catalog before we switch into the very end of this is Jesus speaking to us in the book of Matthew. And he says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's a helpful passage for us today, church. We're going to do something a little bit different at this point. Typically in a sermon, this is where I will expound and maybe drive some application, give you something as you walk out the door. Um, it, I'll usually start it with a phrase that sounds like, and this is how we live in light of a gospel truth like this. But because it's a video and it is what it is, we have a great opportunity. So I wanted to bring in a couple that I love dearly. They're a beloved couple at Legacy Church. This is Nathan and Amanda Simmons. Um, and so Nathan is responsible for about 99.999% of the fact that we even have a live stream. He's highly competent in this, and he spent most of his Saturday with me here putting all this on. So thank you for Amanda for lending him <laughs> to us. 
But if you don't know them very well, you might not know this, but they have a very incredibly high missional IQ and are very hospitable. And so I want to get their feedback on how to apply a truth like this. So you're not just listening to a pastor talk about this all the time. But my first question for you guys is, in the last week or so, five days maybe, what has all of this, the flurry of this, what has it revealed in you that you're not excited to see about yourself? Oh, yeah, my bad. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think the biggest thing for me, obviously, the two temptations are fear and self-preservation. Um, and so, but the Bible calls us to love our neighbor, and so that means to not look after number one anymore. And so it's funny as... Um, Everyone's thinking about it, talking about it at work, and I'm walking around. And um, because this is a virus and not like a terrorist incident, like you don't know who has it and who doesn't. And so I can be tempted to view someone as my enemy, like everyone my enemy. And it's, that's just irrational. Um, and so just trying to put those fears to rest um, and just remembering that God is in control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think. As um, so, I'm a speech pathologist in health in healthcare settings, and so um, I think I've been thinking a lot lately just about um, the patients I work with, um, and you know, just kind of trying to think through like, what is my job, and how do I love people well, and um, you know, I feel like I've been seeing a lack of trust in the Lord's ability and willingness to love other people that I come into contact with. And Nate was talking about feeling like other people are the enemy, whereas I've been so concerned, am I the enemy? Am I, you know, am I carrying this, spreading this? And um, yeah, so I think just, just struggling to, to trust that the Lord is good. And like, you know, like you were saying earlier, Luke, like this is not, this didn't catch God by surprise. You know, like this isn't, this didn't come out of left field. He knew He's still in control, and he still loves as he ever has. So Yeah. Yeah, so here, my hand is right back to you. So what is there a passage or a train of thought or a theme or a picture or some sort of an image that you go to quickly that helps kind of reset you in those moments? Because we all loop like that. We all kind of see that exposed part of ourselves, and then we kind of land. By God's grace, we land. So what, what does that look like for you in those fears? Yeah, so the, the biggest thing for me is just remembering that God is not a clockmaker. So he didn't design and create the world and just walk away and let it do its thing and then come and check on him and be like, what in the world is happening down there? So all of this was in the foreknowledge of God. So just although we don't understand his purposes, we know that they're good. Um, and so we're so used to our rhythms of daily life. And when things go wonky or go off what we perceive to be is normal uh we can get fearful and it's i think because we we don't aren't in control anymore um and so just remembering that god is in control this didn't take him off guard um and then his purposes are good for us and so um even though we don't you know things may get worse they, it doesn't matter god will still receive the glory um and he's still gonna um bring his kingdom to fruition yeah good i think for me prayer has been really helpful um, and just kind of thinking through even what I just said, I think that's what I keep. I'm a, I'm a verbal processor. <laughs> and so going back and telling myself, yes. you know, this image of back up, Amanda, the Lord is not sitting up there going, oh my gosh, ah, 
uh, crud. <laughs> Just imagining the Lord sitting on the throne. This is not a surprise to him. And so just kind of resetting myself, closing my eyes, taking a breath, and okay. just kind of, yeah, trying to let the Lord and his word and his promises calm my spirit. And uh, I feel like I have to do it constantly these uh, days. But, um, but yeah, okay. doing that. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to change the gears and just ask a different question because you guys do have such a high missional IQ. I really mean that. Um, I, what do you do? What are some practical ways you think you can carry a gospel of hope and a gospel of peace and stillness to others? I, I've always admired your creativity and things like this. What are some things that, maybe just whiteboard thinking, what are some things that have hit your mind regarding that? How to communicate this to others? So I was, there was a documentary we watched several years ago. I think some of our comm group went as well. Um, it was about the Ebola outbreak in Africa where that American doctor got it. And so that, that American doctor, I believe, was part of Samaritan's Purse. And there was a quote that I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, but he basically said, Christians don't run away from darkness. They run into it. And so uh, although our circumstances are different, I think it, we can apply the same principles. And, and we don't fear. We don't flee. Uh, we, we stand firm and we show what, that God is in control and that we can trust him. And so... Um, I think when you're having conversations uh, it, with people in your community or at work, because um, this is what everyone's talking about, so this provides a great opportunity uh, to, rev to talk to people and, and, and just ask them, like, hey, wh what do you think about these, these stabbings at the Costco? What's driving this? Um, are, I'm, are you fearful? I'm fearful. What do we do with this? And so I think it provides a great opportunity to communicate the gospel. Um, communicate the story of, of creation and that God is in control, that he made everything, that he is intimately evolved um, in, in the world today, that he doesn't just um, let us fend for ourselves. And so, um, and whatever role you're in, uh, how can you uh, run into the darkness? You know, whether that's providing a meal for a neighbor or just using technology, you know, we want to be wise and not spread um, perhaps be a carrier, you know, we, we want to be wise and practice social distances and do all the, all the steps that um, could help. Um, but we, you know, the, because we live in the 21st century, you can FaceTime people, you can text, you can call, you could, you know, take a meal to your neighbor next door, but just drop it on, on the table and walk away um, or leave it on the front door. Um, and so just, there's lots of different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, Absolutely. Uh, I was thinking a lot of the things you just said, but I, th I think just in general, remembering that um, I think a lot of us are, you know, we're, we enjoy gathering together and physical closeness and, but just remembering that we can love people from a distance in a way that's, that's safe in this point in time, what we need to do as a society. Um, but I mean, you can still have really intentional conversations. And so I think taking steps to continue to do that, to reach out to people and to, to provide care. And again, I think prayer is just, um, I think it's a, a tool that we have that we so often take for granted. And, you know, I think that this has been a really nice opportunity for me just to, to pray more. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I got one more thing. Go I think for just it. for the, for, for the Christian personally, just if you have time off work or your schedule has changed, just redeem that time. You know, don't don't waste it. Um, you know, just binging shows. Although you know nothing's wrong with watching and entertaining and playing board games, but you know, 
read the scriptures, turn to things that are going to comfort you or might help you uh, comfort your neighbors more. Um, you've, some of us may have more time than we usually do. I know our afternoon plans have completely changed um, due to things being shut down. And so mm-hmm. it just gives us more time to be intentional. Yeah, good, good. So stick around because we're I'm going to have Amanda read us out here in just a second. But before we do, I just want to remind you in, in a in a, a path towards encouragement, I guess, you need to know that a day is coming where there will be no more anxiety. I know it's hard to imagine because even on our best days, there's always something making us a little bit nervous or panicked in the back of our mind. Something's eating our RAM, taking up some space, always. Some decision down the road, decision right now, something's promising destruction to you. But there will be a day where that goes away. You will no longer have to strategize or scheme or build scenarios where you win because you'll never have to take care of yourself anymore. You'll never have to look out for number one. You will be able to work and play and feast and celebrate and worship in the glory of God. I mean, this is a glory that's so bright it replaces the sun. And that's going to be one day when God reverses everything that is sad. That is going to be our reality, our new normal. But until that time, We trust in the Lord. We trust that he is not just big, but he's good and kind. And so in that, I'm going to have Amanda read us out. This is Psalm 46, and you have your Bible? That's a lot better than this piece of paper. Okay, go ahead and read for us. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Yeah. And with that legacy, I love you a bunch. Um, and I'm very thankful for you. Thank you for all the emails and encouragements and texts. Um, if Listen, if you have any needs, you need something, be sure to email us, info at LegacyKnoxville.com, and let us be helpful as a church. Um, also, if you know of somebody else that has needs, now is the time to be highly communicative. We, we have way too many tools to not take, take this moment and communicate back and forth. It's a great opportunity to do that. Also, be watching on social media, Instagram and Facebook, and be sure to follow us if you don't already because I will be communicating throughout the week in ways that we could be helpful for you as a church um, and maybe give me an opportunity to encourage you as a church. Um, But we love you. We're very thankful for you. Be safe today. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. All right, bye.